at the end of the day, the toughest requirement for the governments really come from the defense side of things. And because this is a system that would be used in national defense, the governments all want to continue to own the capability. And because of that, the opportunities for commercial players are very limited. Hello, Space Watchers. I am Emma, Senior Editor of Space Watch Global, and this is a new episode of Space Cafe Radio, your radio channel dedicated to emerging trends and live conferences in the space sector. PSSI, the Prague Security Studies Institute, has the pleasure to present the Space Cafe Radio PSSI Space Security Mini-Series, focused on allied preparedness to face the rapidly changing space domain. PSSI is a non-profit, non-governmental public policy organization founded in 2002 and based in Prague. In space, PSSI puts emphasis on emerging threats and available policy solutions. All the interviews in the PSSI Space Security mini-series were conducted during the 6th PSSI Space Security Conference, which was held in Prague at the Chernin Palace, the headquarters of the Czech Ministry of Foreign Affairs, from the 19th to the 21st of June 2022. The conference is part of the PSSI's well-established series of high-level trilateral space security conferences, where for trilateral we mean Europe, US, and Japan. The conference series, launched in 2011, is designed to advance decision-making within the security domain among allies. They represent one of the highest level of unclassified gathering of military allies, national security experts, and senior industry representatives. Today's guest is Paul Graziani, ComSpot Corporation's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer. Paul and I discuss about the exciting and complex position of those private companies that work head-to-head with government and defense. Which are the limits of this cooperation and how can the private sector help and be involved in the defense sector, which is a field that requires a much more higher level of security? Listen up to know more. Paul, thanks a lot for being here with us. Nice to meet you. Great to be here, Emma. Let's start to speak about intelligence and data sharing. Even if we find a way to, to share data, what can we actually do if we find irresponsible behavior? Certainly, that's one of the big issues that we have to work, and it's already happening now. If you take a look at some of the on-orbit things that both Russia and China are doing, many would consider those irresponsible. There are close approaches that are coming down even less than, I just saw the other day, just less than two kilometers and then even closer. So many people would describe that as irresponsible behavior. The sharing of data allows some uh, exposure of these events that will put pressure on everybody involved to, to not do that again. Without sharing the data, without making these things public, then they just will continue on. So I believe that it's a way to check bad behavior and to impart a force that makes it less likely that those, those people that are doing that and those actors that are doing that to continue doing it. So you actually think that providing transparency can actually give some level of deterrence? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And otherwise, the opposite, when these things are going on and nobody knows about it, then I think it's also going to cause those actors to do even more. How space data management has changed in the past few years? How did the data become better or faster or in general mm-hmm. have increase, increasing precision? 
Certainly, this entire area is moving very rapidly. It had been the domain of governments, and governments did an excellent job of getting space situational awareness, space domain awareness, space traffic management going. Um, but uh, more recently, a lot of commercial innovation has come in and really rapidly evolved that. So uh, that can be everything from uh, just take the traditional on the sensor side, uh, either optical uh, or radar or RF sensors. Uh, each of those have evolved quite a bit to be much more powerful than they were before. And just to throw out a, a few things along those lines, things like using optical systems for low earth orbit. So that had been something that was understood as possible, but nobody was really pursuing it. Now there are several actors, uh, several players, commercial players, that are actively pursuing optical for low Earth orbit, discontinuing an optical uh, daytime observation. So it had been, mo most people had presumed that optical systems would really only be good when the telescope was in dark and the target was, was lit. And now more and more daytime observations are being made, getting even to pretty close to that object being close to the sun. Same thing happening on the radar systems, evolution of radar systems, bringing down the cost and making them just new techniques that are they're coming to bear. And on RF as well. So uh, systems that will either RF transmissions that are coming off of spacecraft or can even use signals not intended, not emanating from the spacecraft and not actually intended like a radar to, to actually be part of that system, but just things like TV station transmissions or FM radio transmissions that are reflected off the of spacecraft. So all of that has really been happening over the last couple of years. Also on the processing side, which is kind of really where our company focuses primarily ingesting all that information and processing that, a lot of evolution has been happening there as well. So it's very rapidly moving and uh, it's a good thing because the problem is ra rapidly getting worse with uh, more and more spacecraft being launched and especially down in low Earth orbit where there's a lot of debris and a lot of new spacecraft going up. The problem is ever increasing. In geosynchronous, you're seeing China and Russia getting much more aggressive with their, um, their anti-satellite programs. And so... All of this drives the need for improved space situational awareness. Do you think that your industry needs to move faster? You know, I would say that it's, it's a bit of a balance right now. To me, and I think most commercial SSA players would tell you that we are moving very fast. And those were the examples I just gave you, I think, were just some of the, some of the indicators that we think we are moving fast. What's not happening fast enough is the development of the market right now. It is still the, the main purview of governments to do this. And for good reasons, most governments want to try to develop this capability on their own. They understand that it does cut across commercial, civilian, and defense applications. At the end of the day, the toughest requirement for the governments really come from the defense side of things. And because this is a system that would be used in national defense, the governments all want to continue to own the capability. And because of that, the opportunities for commercial players are very limited. If you look across the board, each of us as commercial SSA providers will have you know, very small contracts, very little revenue coming from the government, many zero. Yet the traditional systems are continuing to be funded at tremendous numbers, like in the United States, 
that's a billion dollars a year that gets put into sustaining the current system. And then a very large, significant chunk, typically a billion dollars to be spent over the next three years or so, is put into trying to develop the next generation system. So when you compare the dollars that are being spent on the government side with traditional government contractors in an attempt to develop a capability that they own versus the dollars that are spent for buying these services from commercial, there's a dramatic offset. And it's really not where it needs to be yet. And this is holding back the industry. Let's speak about space traffic management, Mm -hmm. which is a problem that we've been discussing over and over again. Do you think the commercial space can give a contribution to that too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think already is. So one manifestation of that contribution is something called the Space Data Center. So the Space Data Center is a, a capability that was contracted for by a consortium of commercial satellite owner operators. So that's the Space Data Association. So there, that has the Space Data Association acted for and built the Space Data Center for space traffic management reasons. Fundamentally, what was happening there was the need of those commercial operators who are generally competitors. You know, sometimes you might use the word competimates, meaning they team sometimes, but those competitors are flying spacecraft that sometimes are in just neighbors and very close to each other with the, the orbital slots directly adjacent. Other times, commercial owner-operators are transferring spacecraft from one position to another, and so they're flying by many other of their competitors. And what needs to happen is detailed information about those orbits and those maneuvers, and especially maneuvers that are going to be happening in the future, as well as other information like the RF systems that are on board a particular spacecraft, things like the vehicle dimensions, all of this information is considered proprietary, uh, but also needed by your neighbors to be able to do space traffic management. So that's the Space Data Center is the safe clearinghouse place where competitors can send their information, uh, be comfortable that that information was not going to go to their competitors, but would be still used to do the space traffic management function. So I think that's just one example of how commercial companies can help with the space traffic management, then I'm sure other people would have lots of other examples. So in your opinion, uh, is it true the space domain is breaking into two opposite camps? Are we splitting up into? So help me understand the two camps here. Is this the Russia, China versus the rest of the world? Or how did Pascal put it? I think he said uh, the coalition of the willing uh, kind of a thing. No, absolutely. And I think that what's happening in in my assessment is that China and Russia both have assessed that the West is really vulnerable from a space perspective and that it was a couple of things. One, it's inexpensive for them to develop systems that can have a, I'll use the term, asymmetric effect on our side of that. Satellites are easy to disrupt They're easy to threaten. They're easy to put at risk. And I would also add that there are less consequences. A military person used this phrase with me and it's stuck very strongly. They said, satellites don't have mothers. And what that means is if you were to take out a satellite at a time of tension with another country, 
the response is going to be much less than what it would be if there was life lost. And so it's a lower threshold. It's a move that could be made before you actually start attacking people. And that makes it problem. It makes it an issue that there's a lower threshold to, to take on this act of war. I think to me, if you look at one of the things that happened on the two sides, so uh, to me, the few dots that I put together, if you go back a few years ago, Russia put an anti-satellite weapon tailing a U.S. A national security spacecraft. And as far as I know in the press, it's still saying that it, that's, it that's still, still happening, right? <laughs> so to me, if you put yourself in somebody like Putin's mind, which is a scary place to be, and you, you plan on going into Ukraine a few years in the future, you could demonstrate to the world that first off, you have the capability to take out a very critical national security satellite by having a, an anti-satellite weapon tailing right behind a high value asset. So that shows you have the capability to take it out. And in that particular one was that the, they, they called it the Russian nesting doll so that there were sub-satellites and two, at least two levels of sub-satellite that came out of that. So that was a scary thing. Then in November of last year, just a few months before Russia went into Ukraine, Russia demonstrated that they were perfectly willing to create a huge mess in space by doing a direct descent ASAT test against one of their own spacecraft, creating big, a, a lot of new debris. So th then in the spring, they go into Ukraine, they invade Ukraine. So to me, if you put those dots together, that sent a message that they had the capability to take out a U.S. spacecraft, national security spacecraft, and they were willing to create a mess. And now set up the United States to think that if the U.S. were to come into the Ukrainian situation in any kind of big way, lower threshold, they wouldn't have to kill any Americans, but they could send a big message that, and it would be a perfectly target at that point if the United States was getting in the war, to take out this instrument of war. So to me, that is an example of kind of this evolution of these two sides and where this is going. The belief by Russia and China that the West is vulnerable this way and that it's an easy thing to go after. And as was said today, frequently there are more and more drivers that are pushing these nations to take these asymmetric moves. Definitely. The topic of Western vulnerability is very interesting. I want to conclude with a broader question about the issue of liability and space insurance. Mm -hmm. The military and defense side seems worried that if they get data from the commercial sector, mm -hmm. then if the data are wrong, they don't have method to do a double checking mm -hmm. on sensitive data. And on the other side, they want to be sure that if the data are wrong, mm -hmm. they can blame someone. Mm -hmm. What's uh, your perspective on mm -hmm. this? First, uh, how from a commercial point of view and also from a tactical point of view, because it's easy to speak about space insurance, but I really would love to see how this is going to get applied right. to satellites. Right. <laughs> right. Let's see. On the first part, I would say that right now, space situational awareness is largely the purview of governments and it is largely the United States that's doing that. So there's, there's a system in place for them to understand, get their own independent understanding of what's going on in space. Commercial systems coming in, that is the double check that, that they could have. Now, 
what I will be found here is that the commercial systems actually, because they are far newer and because the systems right now, the world relies on the United States, the United States relies on a system that was installed in, it really built in the late eighties, installed in the early nineties. And that's a long time as far as tech technology goes. So a lot has evolved since then. Commercial players are working with much more contemporary capabilities that are going to give different answers than theirs. And more often than not, they're, a matter of fact, I would say, as far as I could tell, the commercial answers are proven to be accurate as compared to a truth model. Now, let me spend a minute on that. It's very difficult to understand exactly where everything is in space. It's not like when you're on the ground and you've got your GPS and your map, you can say, I know exactly where I'm standing in space. There's, it's much more complicated. There are, however, a few systems that do actually have GPS systems on board. Those, as well as other satellites that are specifically designed to be calibration satellites, the locations are known extremely well. So to me, the way to check to make sure the answers are right is compare everything against truth. That's really the way. And there are on the order of two dozen, maybe even three dozen spacecraft that kind of fall into that category, these truth models. So that I think is how to double check and compare to what, what is, is known to be accurate. And then again, I think you're going to find that the commercial systems are more accurate than the government systems. Now, onto the question of, of liability and what happens when somebody's wrong and what happens when somebody's wrong and it causes a big problem. First off, I'm not an expert in this area at all, but I will say that it seems that there are models that we could look towards to, to compare this to. So one, commercial launch providers are indemnified in the United States by the United States government regarding the massive damage that could happen if one of those launchers were to come down on a populated area. So kind of a government system that indemnifies the commercial operator is one way to go. Another model to look at is how air traffic control is done in many countries, not in the United States, but in other countries. The air traffic control system is actually operated by private companies. And so Again, I, I can't tell you what it is, but somehow or another, a commercial owner-operator has a tremendous amount of liability on air traffic control should an accident happen. So that's been uh, handled that way. And then lastly, the realm of space insurance. So there are, there are insurance companies that come in and uh, insure for launch and early operations. So it seems that, and that's, that those are very high risk. It, we're not too far away from the days when it was a 15% probability that your spacecraft would make it from the ground to an operational position. And, um, and the insurance industry was able to provide that coverage in a way that worked for them and worked for the uh, insured. So the probability, the liability that is incurred by commercial space traffic management uh, operator, the incidents are far lower than those launch costs were. So I would say, again, not understanding the insurance business, but it kind of seems like a, a good bet to me. I would be curious to see how we're going to deal when we're going to have a sandstorm, something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, houses are completely not attached to humans, uh, mm -hmm. unprovoked circumstances. That's going to be interesting to see how yep. the insurance are going to interact. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, Paul. Right. It's been very fantastic to talk to you and I hope this is not the last time. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the PSSI Space Security Miniseries, sponsored by PSSI, the Prague Security Studies Institute. 
PSSI is the organizer of the sixth Space Security Conference in Prague, which is part of the high-level trilateral space security conferences series, launched in 2011. The next episode will feature Michael Friedling, the commander of the French Space Command. Don't miss it. And if you want to keep the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Emma Gatti, Senior Editor of Space Watch Global, your independent perspective on space. See you next time. Ciao.